0: Welcome to your weekly biker news wrap-up, and welcome to this edition of the Biker Angle. This is out of Millie Thompson's office, dear San Antonio law enforcement, please seek training on the First Amendment <laughs> from other, from someone other than your chief. This lawyer's getting in the butt. My client's disorderly conduct cases were set for trial today in San Antonio Municipal Court. They were charged with disorderly conduct for wearing motorcycle club patches showing they were in a motorcycle club. The cases were dismissed this morning. I was disappointed, she goes on to say. Someone needed to explain the First Amendment to the officer that issued the citation. I had hoped I would get to cross-examine them. For some reason, the licensed attorney that is running for the city attorney's office refuses to properly explain the law to L E N S A, in SA, which means San Antonio. The complaint against my clients stated that they committed a crime by wearing their motorcycle club patches, and this is as follows. Defendant intentionally or knowingly made an offensive display by wearing up gang colors or paraphernalia in a public place and the said display intended to incite an immediate breach of the peace she says there is a lot wrong with this charge but here are just a few of the issues man she is spanking them americans enjoy a freedom to associate even when groups law enforcement may dislike United States v. Robo 389 U.S. 258-269-1967. The government may not sanction us based solely on our membership with an unpopular group. ID and Scales v. United States 367 U.S. 203-1961. The Supreme Court has long ruled against government action that imposes criminal sanction. Or denies rights, quote, solely because of a citizen's association with an unpopular organization. Again, she cites Healy vs. James 408 US 169, 185 72 This is true even if some members of the organization do engage in criminal activity. NWACP versus Clyburn Hardware Company, 458 U.S. 886-920-1982, wherein motorcycle club guard is protected by the First Amendment. San Martino vs. First Judicial District Court, 303F, 3D959, 9th Circuit, 2002, Picoscona versus Murphy. Yeah, she's spanking them right there, man. Two, the Fifth Amendment protects our liberty interest to dress as we please. Yeah, take that. The Fifth Amendment protects various liberty interests, including that of dress and appearance. Regarding the existence of a liberty interest in dress and appearance, a substantial majority of the court's considering the issue, had held that such a liberty interest does exist. Hodge v. Lynn 88F supports 2D 1234, DMB 2000. Moreover, ordinances attempting to regulate what the general public wears on public streets and in other public areas have not fared well. She goes on to quote another case, Hodge v. Lind, And then the uh, site in Deweese 812. And it also says, see, also City of Harvard v. Gout. Then three, the First Amendment protects our speech except for fighting words. Now, I'm going to discuss the First Amendment protection for profane language directed at his officers. My clients did not cuss out the cop. The reason I address cussing at cops is because even if my clients were wearing clothes that said ACAB or the classic fuck the police or any other insulting language, they still could not have been constitutionally Persecuted for it. Spanking. The rights to associate and express association are sufficient by themselves to say that this charge was unconstitutional. But even if we assume that the right to associate and symbolically express association didn't cover my clients, the officers still should not have charged them with disorderly conduct for mere words. Courts across this country have correctly applied First Amendment principles to prevent the police from criminalizing those who direct language at them, no matter how hostile and abusive the language is in the matter. Of the welfare of SLJ-263, Minnesota, 1978, reversing conviction for disorderly conduct for F.U. pigs to police officers, she states again, deal versus state, conviction reversed for disorderly conduct for, say, F.U. Gavin to a police officer. City of Bismarck vs. Schnoebert, North Dakota, 1991. Reversing disorderly conduct conviction for saying F-bitching cop. F-u three times. F-my-s. And you don't know you, who you're effing with. <laughs> to the police. L-A-T vs. State 650. Florida 95, reversing conviction for you effing cops. What the F do you think you're doing? You are full of BS. This is BS. This is abuse. And more directed at police. Schwann versus city of Huntsville. And this comes out of the Alabama Criminal Appeal in 1984. This is some shit, damn you. Where vs. City and County of Denver, Colorado, 1973, F.U. People vs. Justice, 57, out of 1978, out of the appellate in Illinois, hysterical yelling and screaming over parking ticket. People vs. Gentry, 48, Illinois Appeal, 1977, stayed in the defendant's presence in a neighborhood was none of the officers effing business. (laughs) She's got a list here. Kavarzos versus State. Indiana Appellate, 1973. Asshole State versus John W., 418A. 1980, hey you effing pig, you effing kangaroo. And my favorite State versus Hampton, out of the 66 Ohio Appellate, 1990. Just because you got a effing badge, you think you can f with poor people. F you and your gun. And more. <laughs> I'm going to summarize the law on this. And you can read the more elaborate version below if you like. Simply, the police can't arrest people for words alone. The words must be so extreme that they would cause an average person on the receiving end of the words to want to physically fight and hurt the speaker. If the words are directed at a police officer, we expect police to control themselves. (laughs) Words that would make a civilian want to fight the speaker cannot be criminalized if they're directed at a cop because we hold the police to a higher standard. Boy, yeah, that's one of them Z's, baby. She killed him on that one. Holy cow. <laughs> CBS News Path, Frankfort, Kentucky, WKYT CBS. A Kentucky lawmaker has prefiled the bill Which would make it a crime to leave unsafe amounts of leaves or more grass on highways. I guess that's good. Senator C.B. Embry Jr., Republican of Morgantown, is looking to amend Kentucky's criminal littering law to include the potential hazards. Motorcyclists are especially vulnerable to leaves and mold grass, as it limits the traction motorcycles have on the roads. Richmond police responded to a crash in June where a man was taken to a Lexington hospital because of injuries suffered when riding over mold grass. I don't think it's the grass, I think riders need education. Just me. There's a lot of people out there that don't do it intentionally. This according to Richmond Police Assistant Chief Rodney Richardson, said, It rains quite often and they blow their grass off their yard into the roadway. I don't think they intended to cause an accident, but they need to be aware of the dangers it can cause. Again, Get new writers get some education on this. Usually go around it, but anyway, Re- Regina Huff, Republican of Williamsburg, has pre-filed the same amendment in the Kentucky House. <laughs> get some education, people. That's all I can say. Jordan Vin LaCrosse Tribune: Three people are facing charges stemming from a July 19 shooting on La Crosse's north side connected to the Society for Brotherhood Motorcycle Club, according to the La Crosse Police Department. Police have referred Brandon T. Stemper, 31, Holman Javier Ortiz, 55, and Amber R. Peters, 25, for charges connected to the investigation which began with a call at 10.02 a.m. at the Partners for Excellence School at 901 Caldonia Street, which reported its windows had been damaged overnight. This again, according to police. Police determined the windows had been shot out and located evidence of a shooting at a neighboring property the Society for Brotherhood Motorcycle Clubhouse at 932 Caledonia Street. Huh? How in the heck can he... Okay. Police executed a search warrant at the clubhouse and collected a digital recorder for the surveillance camera system. The Wisconsin State Crime Lab located a recently deleted video showing the shooting. Ooh, ouch. That is right there. Video proves a lot. Stemper was arrested on charges of second-degree reckless endangering safety, felon in possession of a firearm, and disorderly conduct. Ortiz faces charges of second-degree recklessly endangering safety and disorderly conduct. Peters is accused of obstruction of an officer. You know what? They get to lie to you in these interrogations. You can't lie to them. According to police, Stemper is a known member of the Society of Brotherhood Club. Ortiz is a known member of the Outlaws Motorcycle Club. And Peters is Stemper's girlfriend. Oh, so she gets charged too. Man, don't record, people. This investigation was again highlights the danger posed to the community and police when convicted felons are in possession of firearms. I don't get that, said the department in its a press release. You do your time, you should be able to get your rights back. Stemper has been convicted of battery three times, including a 2010 conviction for substantial battery. And is facing misdemeanor charges of take and drive a vehicle without consent and disorderly conduct, which were filed earlier this month. I'm taking that has to mean stolen car. (laughs) Why did they just say that? The police department asks anyone with information to call the La Crosse Police Department at. You can look it up. To remain anonymous, contact Lacrosse Area Crime Stoppers at you can look it up once again or submit online at lookitupyourself.com. And you can also download the Crime Stoppers at upyourbutt.com. <laughs> anyway, let's go up to uh, the Biker Angle events, shall we? We have the Easy Riders Rodeo Tour 2019. Chillicotty, Ohio, August 29th. That's coming up September 2nd. Easy Riders usually does put on a great show, man. We're talking rodeo competition, the bike show, West T-shirt contest. They always got good uh, music vendors, games, camping, and more. Again, Easy Riders Rodeo in Chillicotty, Ohio, August 29th and September 2nd. Then we have Max's Bash, August 30th to the 1st. Admission is $40, $25 per day. That 40's for the weekend at the Wagon Wheel Ridge in Carlstad, Minnesota. They're having a fundraiser for Camp Courage North Rock and Roll and a Max Lone Memorial Ride. There will be raffles, tattoo, and food vendors uh, all night. That's great stuff, man. That's the 35th annual 2019 Max's Bash. If you're looking for up-to-date biker news, then Insane Throttle is the place to be. Daily editorials and news that is dedicated to the biker scene. Come on over and join the number one internet biker news site at HarleyLiberty.com. Hi, this is John with Exit 27, and you're listening to Hollywood on Motorcycle Madhouse. Want to hear more of our music? Head on over to Spotify or iTunes. The number one internet biker radio show is now available on Spotify and all major platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Don't forget to become a subscriber on any one of these platforms so you can be notified right away when our weekly episode is uploaded so you never miss an episode. Let's go, go, go. And welcome back everyone, Richard Bammer. Several recent and repeated TV specials and network news features between August 16th and 18th and August 11th, New York Times special. Woodstock at 50 all had one thing in common. Besides the required commentary and memories of the blissful three days of peace of music near Bethel, New York, as the Woodstock Music and Art Fair poster advertised, they na- they na- nicely forgot to put the swinging bedlam by Hells Angel security that film footage captured Oh, yeah, everybody remembers that. The gang's medicine behavior that morphed into far more horrific violence just a few months later in December of 1969. When I first saw the film segment on YouTube, a clip not originally part of Michael Wadley's 1970 documentary, If Memory Serves, I recall feeling dismayed, shocked that no one, friends and fans of the film to reporters and other media types had ever mentioned the Angels or what followed after Jefferson Airplane began its 13-song set on December 3rd of Sunday morning. As people began to dance ecstatically to the drumming of Spencer Dryden, the propulsive bass of Jack Cassidy and the ringing brittle notes screaming from Jorma guitar you can see members of the Hells Angels gesturing and warning people to be cool to stay off the stage as others lighted cigarettes and swig beer from the aluminum cans one of the club members for whatever reason wore a wolf skin by turns intimidating and ridiculous about three minutes into the tune, singer Gray Slick, seeing a fracas just steps away from the stage, begins to say, Easy, repeating the word, and the music stops. Seconds later, singer Marty Balin jumps off the stage and into the stage side crowd, where apparently he was struck in the face. You can see hear guitarist and singer Paul Katner then say that the hell's angels just smash Balin in the face and knock him out for a bit imagine woodstock that would have been cool to go i'd like to thank you for that cart uh, Katner says dryly looking over at a some half dozen angels on stage their black leather jackets emblazoned with the club name in red on the back shoulder the word california also in red at the bottom an angel who appears to be the group leader here in Katner stands up and says stridently referring to a microphone Is this on? You're talking to me and let me tell you what's happening. Afterwards, you can see club members pull cues in hand and raise striking people or swaggering in a threatening manner. At one point. One or two Hells Angels faced off with a bearded man in a hat who appears to be trying to calm things down and making an attempt to reason with club members. They knock him severely as he falls to the ground and others festival attendees scatter. One of the oddest things in the film clip is Slick saying, quote, People get weird and you need the angels to keep them in line. End quote. (laughs) Again, that must have been freaking uh, a crazy party. She quickly follows that with, quote, you don't bust people in the head for nothing, end quote. A sensible advisory, but one that belittles the festival's much vaunted groovy vibe of peace, love, and music. Or welcome statements from the men who owned the land on which Woodstock occurred. Max Jaeger, in a roughly two-minute statement from the stage, he said, I think you people have proven something to the world, and this is the largest group of people ever assembled in one place. Not true. Religious pilgrimages in the Middle East and India attract millions. He goes on to say he did mention inconveniences, the lack of drinking water, and adequate amounts of food among them, but he stressed the positive as he ended his remarks. The most important thing was that half a million kids, quote, can get together and have three days of fun and music and have nothing but a good time, he said to the applause. But Despite somewhat bogus reports in the New York Times that the crowd itself was clearly well behaved, and the quote from a physician that there had been no violence whatsoever the weekend was not a vision of hippie heaven, in which an enthusiastic spirit transitioned rain and mud, bumper to bumper traffic, medical emergencies, at least one fatal drug overdose and the death of an attendee sleeping in a sleeping bag who was run over by a tractor. And then there was the Hells Angels, literally heavy-handed security. Their actions and behavior at Woodstock were a hairbanging of what was to come at the Rolling Stones Altamont Free Concert on December 6th that same year, At the Far East Bay Racetrack, on that day, a Hell's Angel fatally stabbed 18-year-old Meredith Hunter, a black man, as he approached the stage with a gun, a killing caught on film in the documentary, Give Me Shelter. By some accounts, the Angels were hired by the Stones' managers and on the recommendation of the Grateful Dead and Jefferson Airplane. Or $500 worth of beer. Wow. At Woodstock, Altamont, and other mega festivals, the notion of a temporary utopia is a myth and always will be. In the case of the first Woodstock, it came down during the Vietnam era when baby boomers, some of whom had participated in the unpopular war in Southeast Asia, those three days defined a generation as proclaimed in the just aired PBS documentary about the festival. While there were many positive things to celebrate, youthful hopes and dreams were a change in the U.S. social and political climates. The backdrop was drugs, alcohol, and violence as it was at Altamont. The day after Woodstock, the New York Times editorial quoted a line from Shakespeare's Henry V. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named. That may be, mo- but most of the media counting then and now smacks a pure poppycock. <laughs> Next one. Sad story, sad story out of Detroit. By James uh, Dickinson, Detroit police are investigating a fatal crash that occurred on the southwest of Detroit and are looking out for the crash motorcycle that was taken from the scene in a pickup truck. The crash took place about 11.25 p.m. on South Fort near Schaefer. Police say the biker was moving, quote, at a high rate of speed when he rode into a telephone pole. Then, three men on Harley-Davidson motorcycles pulled up to the crash site, loaded the bike onto a white Ford F-150 pickup truck, and pulled off. No detailed descriptions of the men are available. Police want the bike as part of their investigation. Medics transported the victim to an area hospital, but he was dead on arrival. That stuff right there any time a biker goes down. Careful out there. By Emily Kiefer Martinsburg, decked out in a typical motorcycle garb, Ahab held up his strawberry banana smoothie with whipped cream and said, quote, if this doesn't break the stigma of motorcycle clubs, I don't know what will. It helps, Ahab said, that the Sorry Souls Motorcycle Club, for which he serves as the president of the Western Maryland chapter, recently raised $27,000 for its biggest yearly event, A Party to Benefit Autism Speaks. Stone, president of the West Virginia chapter of the club, said they hope to break the stigma they believe the television show Sons of Anarchy Created for motorcycle clubs, when it premiered in 2008. Established in 1970, Sorry Souls Motorcycle Club says its biggest goal is to help the community, according to Stone. Most of us, he says, from different clubs, so we all came to this club and started it because we wanted to do something positive for our community. And help our community in any way that we could. Stone, who has served as president of the club for five years, said we do turkey drives before Thanksgiving and toy drives as well for the kids at Christmas time. Stone said the benefit Autism Speaks began four years ago. Well, My wife and I came together and started this because both of our sons are autistic, he said. It picks up more steam every single year. We look forward to it even though it's a lot of work. All my brothers help me out a lot. Without them, I couldn't do it. Same thing with our wives and girlfriends. Everyone pitches in and without them, again, we couldn't do it. At the event, which was held last month, the members said their kids, grandkids, and families attended. My grandkids and kids come to all of our events. If it wasn't a family-orientated club, I wouldn't be here, Longshot the club's treasurer said. Stone said the Let There Be Rock School performs at the event. My son is a drummer there. What we do is for the kids, so we let the kids open it up, Stone said. I want our community to recognize us as a good group of guys. I don't want the negativity. Ahab agreed. We are not from the Sands of Bar- uh, Sons of Anarchy show. My big thing is that there is a stigma that we are all big, tough, tattooed up, nasty guys... And that it is not who we are at all, Ahab said. I would pretty much rather park my bike and help an older lady across the street than I would fight somebody over something stupid. That is not how we are. Luckily, the West Virginia Club's Sergeant-at-Arms said the stigma makes it difficult to accomplish certain things. The stigma has pretty much put a wall... In front of us when we are trying to help the community and give back lucky said a lot of bars won't allow bikers in and it really limits venues to hold events at and it is mostly just off that stigma many club members said they joined the club for the Brotherhood for the events to help out the community and for the family We are a family club. You've got to take time for your family, Stone said. All the other clubs in this area support us, and we support them. That's what it's about. It's not about clubs fighting each other. That's old school stuff. Well, it's kind of happening now, buddy. Stone said that the clubs still practice old school protocols, but when it comes down to it, he said... That everyone gets along. Huh? No one wants to go to jail. No one wants to fight each other. It is about helping on each other. That's the brotherhood, he said. Wish it was all over the place. When asked what the club members would tell the community, Longshot said, Walk up and say hi. That is all you've got to do. Give us a chance, Stone added. Huh. Stone and the other members said the local Moose Lodge has allowed them to use its facilities to host events. Moose rocks, man. The autism fundraiser event was held at Moose Acres in Martinsburg. To get these places to let us in is difficult. The first time I did the toy drive, I called local churches to see if they needed toys. Some churches just hung up on me after I said I was from a motorcycle club, Longshot said. There are others that left with garbage bags full of toys and were in tears because they were so happy. Good stuff there, sorry souls. Good stuff. Let's go on to some uh, biker uh, events happening Guthrie Motorcycle Swap Meet, new and used parts and accessories, concessions, adjacent car and bike show. September 21st and 22nd at the Logan County Fairgrounds in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Then September 3rd and 8th, coming up quick, Brown County, Indiana, Bean Blossoms Biker Fest. Rock and roll. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Join our YouTube channel and get motorcycle madhouse with tons of videos related to the bikers. Join now by subscribing for free and become part of the crowd today. Always free and always entertaining. Don't forget to visit us at www.harleyliberty.com for your daily biker news. Rock on! Are we ready? Let's go, 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 go. And welcome back. Steve King of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Local bikers rode through Winston-Salem on Sunday to honor a fellow motorcyclist killed in a hit and run and another motorcyclist who died in a wreck earlier this month. A few biker organizations including Biker Trash Nation and Forgotten Sons MC of Clemens held The Gray-Hayes Memorial Ride on Sunday. The ride began at Bagger Saloon and ended at Ted's Famous Kickin' Chicken. This was all to raise awareness about the importance of drivers safely sharing the road with motorcyclists while raising money for the Hayes family. Nathan Gray-Hayes was killed in August of 2018 when investigators say Tyrone Dillard crashed into him at the intersection of Salis Creek Parkway and Peters Creek Parkway and drove off. Members of the motorcycle clubs that participated in the event say the biker community is committed to supporting each other and that is what Sunday's event was all about. Quote, he's living on through the memory of everyone here. We've all come out to support something that he would be a part of, and this is for him, said Josh Shannon, a member of Forgotten Sons MC Clemens. We're family. I mean, that's the one thing. The biker community comes together for good causes all the time. If you're ever are in need, just put it out there and the biker community will rally around you, said Wayne Pinnock's a member of the Biker Trash Nation. Organizers say Sunday's bike ride was also to honor Raymond Anthony Beltran, who died in Winston-Salem back on August 9th. Officers say he went off the roadway on Gyro Drive near Old Salisbury Road. Investigators have not shared what caused the wreck. Way to go, guys. Way to go. Vancouver Sun: The director of civil forfeiture seized the Nanaimo Hell's Angels clubhouse in November 2007, and commenced proceedings in November 2012 against the East End and Kelowna clubhouses. A legal challenge to stop the province's attempt to seize the clubhouses was thrown out of court. Again, this is in Canada. In a roughly 15,000-word ruling in advance of this decision in the civil forfeiture case, B.C. Supreme Court Justice Barry Davis rejected the Angels' arguments that their rights had been violated in the proceedings to grab their properties. The East End of Vancouver and Kelowna, the fulcrum of the petition was the legality of the RCMP's disclosure to the civil forfeiture office of information gleaned from Project Halo, Project E Pandora, and Project E Pedicate. Hmm, nice names. Investigator involving the motorcycle enthusiast. Davis said in the decision published Monday that there was no support for the club's claims. Quote, I share some of the concerns raised by the petitioners with respect to the potential that exists for lack of notice and lack of record keeping in the transmission of information and have observed that the relationship between the police and the CFO with the attendant possibility of conflict arising from the intersection of criminal law Substance and procedure and civil forfeiture law, substance and procedure may require not only evidentiary oversight by the court, but may also engage charter scrutiny, Davis wrote. I have also, however, determined that there is no evidentiary foundation for an argument that any lack of notice or record keeping has compromised the ability of these petitioners or any of the other defendants in the related forfeiture proceedings to defend those proceedings back and forth talking out of his ass the director of civil forfeiture seized and i know me hell's angels clubhouse in november 2007 and commenced proceedings in november 12 against the east end and caliwana clubhouses <laughs> you guys are killing me with the names The two proceedings were joined for trial in August 2015 based upon the allegation that each clubhouse was an instrument of unlawful activity because in future they were likely to be used to engage in unlawful activity that may result in the acquisition of interest in property and or cause serious bodily harm to persons. So they're predicting the future here. The Angels filed counterclaims that asserted the quote, instruments of unlawful activity and provisions of the City Forfeiture Act were unconstitutional. The trial of the forfeiture proceedings commenced on April 23rd of 2018. In October of 2018, the Angels filed the petition under the Judicial Review Procedures Act seeking to quash the forfeiture litigation and obtain orders prohibiting the director from continuing the proceedings after the hearing the petition in early april davis reserved judgment he completed the trial of the forfeiture proceedings on april 30th his decisions on the forfeiture applications as well as on the angels counterclaim are pending Given the importance of the petition decision, however, it had to be delivered before Davis' ruling on the underlying litigation. Quote, I am satisfied that the director had lawful authority to collect information from the RCMP and to commence and conduct the related forfeiture proceedings. Davis's concluded, Quote, Accordingly, While I'll find that entering into a memorandum of understanding with the RCMP by the director and the creation of the CFO-RCMP program manager position was lawfully lawfully authorized, I am also satisfied that in some circumstances the relationship between the police and the CFO with the attendant possibility of conflict arising from the intersection of criminal law, substance and procedure and civil forfeiture law, substance, and procedure may require not only evidentiary oversight, but the court but also the scrutiny <laughs> Wow, you had to go with that again. <laughs> the contents, except for some release by agreement of the parties, have been in the continuing possession. Of the CFO for almost 12 years. Talking about how long justice really takes. Peter Culver of the Wisconsin News. Few things are more emblematic of Wisconsin than enjoying a good beer. With the Wisconsin Dells Blue Knights New Copper Ale. You can do so while supporting a worthy cause at the same time. The Blue Knights, a motorcycle club comprised of law enforcement members, launched the beer at the keg and patio on August 16th. The club partnered with Madison-based Brewery Vintage to launch the microbrew, which an advertisement on the Blue Knights Facebook page describes as, quote, crafted from choice toasted barley and caramel melts and balanced with a signature blend of bold American hops. Maybe in St. Throttle she get a beer out there. Profits from the beer's launch went to COPS, a local charity that sponsors loved ones of officers who have died in the line of duty. According to Blue Knight's Sergeant-at-Arms Che Abrezeau, the cause is as important as anyone else's in the brew's launch. Quote, We have four families right now that lost their children in the line of duty in Wisconsin, so we're raising money for them, he said. They give money to scholarships, to respite camps, grief counseling for children of law enforcement officers. Cops or Concerns of Police Survivors is a nationwide charity that supports those affected by deaths of uh, police officers. The Wisconsin branch is based in Milwaukee. He also goes on to said that the Vintage's partnership has been key in helping raise money for the charity, saying that the funneling the money raised at the launch and going forward to cops is the most important part of launching the micro brew. Angelique Thompson Director of sales at Vintage said that the Blue Knights were heavily involved in the production of their beer. She said that her team worked in tandem with the organization to make sure the new microbrew stood out and represented the organization it was for. Quote We created a beer especially for them. We called it Blue Knights Copper Ale. Thompson said, we designed the label for them with help from these guys to create something that was specific to them and represented their chapter the best. But beer was not the only product on offering at the launch. Directly next to the table displaying the shiny new cans of copper ale, there was a table labeled gun raffle according to the spokesman this is a common tradition for the dell's blue knights better watch you guys they're gonna get all nasty up there rifling off a gun we rifle off 10 guns a year all of us being in law enforcement at some point we hunt he said it's all hunting we have a crossbow but this year we have a flamethrower oh man i want one of them He said the flamethrower isn't a hunting weapon, but was more up for raffle for the novelty. He said that the unique nature of the weapon draws more people to the raffle, leading to more proceeds for cops. Copper Ale is now on tap at the keg and patio, as well as the vintage three locations in Madison and Salt Prairie. Let's go to some events here. We got the third annual Brookside Fall Car, Truck, and Motorcycle Show, September 14th. This is off their Facebook page. You can go to www.americanpowerhouse.com. Also, High Voltage Motorcycle Show, September 7th, hosted by High Voltage, September 7th, 2019, at 2 p.m. through 8 p.m. Located at 3000 South Howe Avenue, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And that again is hosted by High Voltage. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention please? Need your daily dose of biker news? Then what are you waiting for? Visit HarleyLiberty.com and keep up to date with all the happenings in the biker scene. And wait, there's more. Insane Throttle Biker News is now on Instagram. Come on over and give us a follow and get special video content not seen elsewhere on the net. Just type in Insane Throttle Biker News in the search bar. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7, 24-7. Edward Harris, 48, of Fairmont, is being held on $1 million bond on each count of attempted murder and conspiracy to commit a felony. Harris was one of four men who carried out a pre-planned attack on a New York man on August 3rd outside of the BFS Foods convenience store in Whitehall. During the fight, the attacker struck Kenneth Murphy of Hilton, New York with a baseball bat, as well as cut and stabbed Murphy with a knife. Well, this is based upon a police investigation which is supported by physical evidence, surveillance video, and Witness statements as well as personal observation states the complaint. Harris, a member of the Pagans Motorcycle Club, was arrested Friday night in Fairmont after staff with the U.S. Marshals Service in Clarksburg received a confidential tip. Witnesses at the scene the day of the attack said Murphy was wearing a Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club jacket. Huh? Alrighty then. Murphy was transported to Ruby Memorial Hospital in Morgantown, where he was placed in a medically induced coma for treatment, according to the criminal complaint. Now, this happened uh, a couple weeks ago. We actually had a story on this on Insane Throttle. The U.S. Marshal Service began assisting the Whitehall Police Department in Locating Harris shortly after the incident occurred. Early Friday night, authorities received information that led investigators to a friend of Harris on Oregon Avenue in Fairmont. You don't mess with the Marshal Service, man, they'll find you, but Harris' arrest in the 3rd in the august 3rd melee along with harris whitehall police have charged james cody biggie 37 of 202 skyline drive of riversville and bruce evan davis 53 of 135 pine lane of fairmont with attempted murder and conspiracy to commit a felony according To the original criminal complaint, Biggie and Davis, along with Harris and a fourth man, carried out what police called, quote, a pre-planned physical confrontation with several male individuals in the parking lot of the BFS Foods in Whitehall, end quote. The incident has been described as a fight between the Hells Angels, and Pagan Motorcycle Clubs. At 1.50 p.m. on August 3rd, a Monagalia Emergency Centra- or Centralized uh, Communication Agency 911 report stated, there was, quote, a fight stabbing in Fairmont between Hells Angels Club and Pagan's Motorcycle Club And that one of the Hells Angels members was being transported to Ruby Memorial Hospital. Since their arrests, Davis and Biggie have appeared in court where their attorneys ask that their bail be reduced. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen on something like this. On August 12th, at his preliminary hearing, Davis' bail was reduced from 750 to 450,000. Well, I guess they got lucky, didn't they? Then on August 13th, at his preliminary hearing before Marion County Magistrate Todd Rundle, Biggie's bail was reduced from 1 million to 500,000. Biggie, who attended, waived the preliminary hearing and his case is now headed to the Marion County Circuit Court. Police are still searching for the fourth suspect in the case. That suspect's name has not been released. If found guilty of attempted murder, Harris could face 15 years in prison. Well, next story is real sad. You guys should know who she is. By Mike Blopold, jet car speed racer Jesse Combs has died in a crash in Oregon's Albert Desert while trying to break a speed record. The Harney County Sheriff's Office confirmed Wednesday that Combs died in a crash in a dry lake bed on Tuesday. Sheriff's Lieutenant Brian Needham says the cause of the accident is under investigation. Man, she she was doing a lot, man. She really was. According to Car and Driver, the 36-year-old Combs is widely known in racing circles as the fastest woman on four wheels, and broke a record in 2013 with a run of 393 miles per hour. The Long Beach, California resident said on Instagram on Sunday that she wanted to break 512 miles per hour or 823 uh, kphs. She wrote, people say I'm crazy. I say thank you. Combs Also appeared on TV shows including Discovery's Mythbusters. Insane Throttle's thoughts go out to her and her family, man. She was something else. Really, she was. Ingo S. Rossi's. A while back, we published a story about a 2,500cc 3-cylinder motorcycle from Triumph. We also mentioned another brand that has put a V8 in a motorcycle before. It seems to have started an arms race as Australia Down Under, boys, has done one better. Its reply is a 2-liter V8 motorcycle made by PGM. The PGM V8 was designed by Paul Maloney. The V8 was not sourced from a car, but rather created from two Yamaha R1 inline-4 engines. The result is a 1,996cc 90-degree V8 that produces 3,34 horsepower and 158 foot-pounds of torques. my <laughs> cow. It uses eight 45-millimeter Makuni drive-by-wire throttle bodies to get revs up to a frightening 12,800 RPMs. Exhaust travels through a pair of custom-built titanium four-into-two-into-one exhaust pipes. Power then travels through a six-speed, oh my God, transmission through a chain to drive the real wheels. Guy's going to get one. <laughs> Craziness. The bike is held together with a chromoly TELUS frame, machined aluminum subframe, and carbon fiber bodywork up front are FGRT 301 forks and TTX MK2 monoshock at the rear, and a Yamaha R1 swing arm, Brembo GP4 calipers up front, and a Brembo P4 clamper in the rear brings the massive 533 pound machine to a halt. It rides on forged aluminum wheels from Marceni and Michelin Pilot Power 3 tires. I don't think this is something you, anybody would be afforded. All pertinent info is displayed on a color TFT instrument panel. It features a 16.5 liter fuel tank and a seat height of 844 or 840 millimeters. PGM did not indicate a 0-100 to or top figure speed instead. They simply asked how brave are you? <laughs> yeah, how brave are you for comparison a Kawasaki ninja h2r produces 310 horsepower tips the scales at 216 kilograms and boasts a top speed of 330 miles an hour PGM has not officially listed the price of these but, however, some experts estimated at $120,000. <laughs> Holy cow. Never buy a car for that, more or less a bike. Anyway, let's get into some events here. We got the 14th annual Hot Springs Rally. Live concerts Friday and Saturday, September 5th through the 7th. And that one is in Central Arkansas. Next one we got is a Thunder Valley Rally, a $20 weekend pass, September 20th through the 21st, Cottonwood, Arizona, featuring 38 special and great white. It is sponsored by the Log Tigers. And that is your news for today. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to new Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel. and Also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle crack wide open.